We're going to be in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Okay? And let me briefly, just very briefly, review the last two gatherings that we've been looking at, the Holy Spirit and of Acts. Okay? Very briefly. Two gatherings ago, we looked at the Holy Spirit. I'm going to talk a little bit faster so we can, we can be on a pace that, uh, that doesn't uh, make our child, uh, our renewed family workers mad at me. <laughs> So we learned uh, two gatherings ago that the Spirit, who who the Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit is like. That the Spirit is a friend, counselor, guide, teacher, reminder. The Spirit has power, immense power. We don't have to be afraid of the Spirit. We can actually trust the Spirit. In fact, we're told to walk in step with the Spirit, submit to the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit. And if we don't submit and walk with the Spirit, we're told that we can grieve the Spirit. Paul talks about grieving the Holy Spirit. Let me talk about this very briefly. What does it mean to grieve the Holy Spirit? The Spirit is a relational entity of God. Very relational. Okay? What happens if you're in a restaurant and someone you know walks in? Someone you know maybe pretty well walks in the door. They know you saw them. You know, you saw them, right? But you politely choose to ignore them, even though they're in the same room. You probably get through dinner and feel like that was a little weird. And you probably would leave and feel grieved. It wasn't overt disrespect, get out of here, I hate you, what are you doing here? Just a polite turning away. Your friend is grieved when you do that. The Holy Spirit's the same way. We don't have to say, Holy Spirit, we hate you, we'll never trust you. No, no, no. I realized for years I grieved the Holy Spirit because I simply was like, well, okay, I'm just going to look away, pretend I didn't see it. Guess what? The Holy Spirit's relational. Holy Spirit's grieved when we ignore when the Spirit's in the room. In the last gathering we saw, when Doug spoke, when Doug taught, on how the Spirit worked in discerning who would replace Judas among the disciples, right? Would it be Joseph Barsabbas, who had the nickname Justice, the just one, the righteous one, or would it be Matthias? And we looked at how the Spirit works in our lives through how we can appropriately discern the Spirit's movement and desire through the five lights on the runway, right? Scripture, personal peace when praying, wise thinking, wise counsel, and providential circumstances. And when those lights on the runway line up, we're in pretty, we can, we can move together in confidence and move forward that this is what the Spirit's intent is, right? So let me show you something really cool. This is from Lisa Gribben. I don't know if Lisa's in the room here, but... Uh, yeah, Lisa. So uh, I was visiting their, the Gribben House Church in Telford on Sunday. And when all the kids and the parents were together, she took these five lights on the runway, this idea of those five elements. And she said, hey, we're trying to be kingdom people. So she made a kingdom puzzle. It was really kind of cool how creative she was. And so she said, kids, we're trying to build the kingdom, right? So we think of a king and a castle oftentimes of the kingdom. And then next slide, um, she flipped them over. And these were the different elements that we talked about of how we discern and listen to the Spirit's work in our life. And she handed each of the kids a piece of the puzzle. And she said, what does it say? Read it. And then now we're going to actually use it to create the puzzle piece of the castle. I thought that was really cool. So I always like hearing what God's doing in, in, among our kids in different house churches. So I just wanted to highlight and say, great job, Lisa. Uh, this is awesome to see uh, a formation happening with our kids. But even some of the adults said, wow, that's really cool. I learned a lot. This was great. See, when the Spirit is working, oftentimes the following is present. Truth, number one, points to God's heart and His character, right? The character of Jesus. Number two, emotion is often present. There's oftentimes when the Spirit is present, tears, joy, rejection, comfort. Not always, but oftentimes when there's tears 
in a prayer setting or in a worship setting or in a church setting, oftentimes it's heaven and earth kind of smooching each other. The Spirit's just kind of coming down to rest among us. Oftentimes emotion is our response when the Spirit is very evident and present. Third, that it prompts a response. Oftentimes, here's what happens. The Spirit comes in an undeniable way and people say, now what? How do we respond? I want to follow Jesus. How do I do that? And oftentimes that's confession and repentance or action. Let's go do this. The next one, Jesus is honored. People get better, a better, clearer picture and understanding of who Christ is as a result of the Spirit of being there. Remember, the Spirit is Jesus-centric. He will always pour, point north on the compass in the direction of Jesus. And then lastly, there's some sort of surprise or freshness or unpredictability. There's a disruption of the status quo. Okay? Heard a quote this week. Blew my mind. This is Bono, right? St. Bono. He said, Religion is what happens when the Holy Spirit leaves the building. Woo! I think we've all been in situations where it's felt religiously stale. Right? The goal is just to continue the religious status quo. I think in that very moment we can say, guess what? Guess who isn't here? Two or three members of the Trinity are here. There's one that's missing. The Spirit. By the way, I think if you asked everyone that was at baptism last Saturday, they'd say the Spirit was present. Guess what? By the way, was truth there? Yeah, truth was there. Was emotion there? Yeah, lots of people crying and hooping and hollering and celebrating. Was there a response that was prompted? Absolutely. We went in thinking we were baptizing eight. We walked away that day baptizing ten. Yeah. Yeah, there was a little bit of a response that people had. Even some people decided to respond by coming dry and thinking they'd be dry, but jumped into the pool to be next to their friend who was being baptized. They didn't anticipate that. And then Jesus was honored. Yeah, I think Jesus was honored. During baptism? And then lastly, was it surprising and refreshing and unpredictable? Yeah. Yeah, it's fun having two extra people we didn't anticipate being baptized. So, now that you're in this uh, passage here in Luke, or sorry, in Acts chapter 2, there's a lot of perplexing, interesting, exciting, thrilling, head scratching things that happen in Acts chapter 2. So much so we're going to slow it down. We're going to do the whole chapter. We're just going to do the first little chunk of it because it's so important. But you're going to notice all five of those elements where the Spirit is present, all five of them are in this chapter too. Now, let me give you a little background before we read our, our passage. In ancient times, three times a year, God-fearing people, God-fearing Jews were scattered all over the world. And they would make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, God's holy city. And these are the three. The Feast of Tabernacles called Sukkot, where they would remember that they were wanderers in the wilderness. Number two, Passover, right? Rescue from Egypt was what they would remember. And Pentecost, also called the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Harvest. Now, Pentecost is 50 days after Passover happens. 50 days. Pentecostus in the original language means 50 days. 50 days, right? Pentagram or Pentagon, five sides. So Pentecost is 50 days. Okay? And Christians celebrate Pentecost each year, usually in May, to commemorate the coming of the Holy Spirit and to signify the birthday of the church. It's kind of like the United Nations, like three times a year in Jerusalem. I mean, every nation and culture comes together in one place three times a year for these three festivals. Okay? People would walk multiple days just to come to these festivals. Okay? And it was an annual agricultural festival. So people wouldn't just come, they'd bring their crops. Which is kind of strange. You a big cart, you'd bring your crops. 
And why would you do that? As various countries and ethnicities and cultures and languages would come, they would come as a way of saying, God, you deserve my best. This was the first of my harvest, and I'm going to give it to you as my sacrifice to say these are my first fruits. These are the first things coming off uh, out of the harvest. Okay? Let me show you a map of the area. Okay? This is from my Bible. Maybe you have this in your study Bible. I just want you to geographically see where everybody's coming, how far everybody's traveling to just go to one city in Jerusalem. Okay? Multiple days, three times a year. The UN really is descending upon Jerusalem. Okay? God-fearing Jews, it says in Acts 2, from every nation under heaven gathered in Jerusalem. And this largely, largely agricultural society in the first century, farmers bring those best crops and say, God, these are yours. I give them to you. This belongs to you as an act of worship. And not only was it a way to say thank you, but it's also to say, it's also my prayer, God, because my livelihood depends on my crops. Would you make sure it continues? That's my prayer. Please make sure this is another good harvest year. Okay? That's Pentecost. It was remembering um, that, but even more so... The people were remembering Exodus. In Exodus, 50 days after Passover, God gave the law, the Ten Commandments, to Moses on how Israel was to live in relation to God. So they're remembering that as they're traveling with their crops from all over to one city for this particular festival of Pentecost. It was remembering that God gave His people the way of life to now go and carry out God's purposes in the world as His people. Alright? So... With that said, let's read Acts chapter 2. Okay? Beginning of Acts chapter 2. Starting in verse 1. It says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Again, remember, all over the world, coming to one location. Suddenly, the sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now there was staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and, and, uh, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Right? What happens when the Spirit is present? Response. What do we do? What does this mean? And some, however, made fun of them and said, they've just had too much wine. <laughs> There's a lot going on there in that passage, isn't it? On, on Pentecost, when everyone's together, it says a hurricane-like wind happens. And a fire happens above their heads. A blowing like a violent wind. Now, do you remember two gatherings ago when we looked at the word Spirit? Remember Ruach? We like Hoktalugi, Ruach in Hebrew. And then Pneuma, where we get pneumonia. What does it mean? Wind, breath, or spirit? How else would the spirit show up? What do you want the spirit to show up in the way the spirit acts? The spirit is? Violent wind. Violent wind. Of course. And then they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire 
one and then it separated and rested above each of them over their heads. Fire is often a sign of God's presence, the burning bush, Abraham and the smoking clay pot, Elijah and the prophets of Baal. By the way, when God gave the law, the Ten Commandments, to Moses on Mount Sinai, the Bible says that the mountain was covered in fire. When God's Spirit is at work, fire is present oftentimes in the Bible. And it came to rest on each of them. Now, I want to stop right here because it would be easy for us to think, oh, wait a second, it's going to rest over just the ordained ministers. It's going to rest over the super spiritual ones, those who have been missionaries, but not over other like normal people. No, no, no. It's not what it says. It says it's separated and came to rest on all of them. Very important. All of them. Every one of us. Don't miss the symbolism of this. Don't miss how important this is. God's Spirit wants to be in and among every single person. Every one of us. So for any of us that say, I'm not spiritual enough, I don't know enough, I haven't been a Christian long enough, I... Baloney. It wants, the Spirit wants to rest on each one of us. Now, it's hard to imagine what this looks like. So I tried to pull throughout history some, some artist renditions of what they think would happen. So here's, here's an ancient piece of art, uh, several hundred years old. You see the little flames over it, you know? They look kind of subdued and like, I don't know, slightly bored. I'm not sure. I'm a huge fan of this. But it, it just gives you a, a rendition, an art, artist understanding of this. All right, next slide. This is... Gustave Doré, who is just a wonderful artist, and he did all these black and white uh, pen and ink kind of things. This is his interpretation. You see the dove, you know, kind of coming down. All right, here, here's a more uh, uh, modern, contemporary interpretation. It was very interesting. I like this. It's a little bit wild, a little bit chaotic. I like that. And then maybe my favorite is the next one here, a little Lego rendition. It's kind of interesting. So, a little Lego artist there. But everyone starts speaking in tongues. And we don't know what the experience was like, but it says that 16 different distinct regions, provinces, countries, ethnicities are mentioned specifically in the text. You ever see when the UN is meeting? Like, I know it's thrilling stuff, you know, but you ever seen pictures of them with the UN and everyone has those, like, funky, goofy-looking, like, headsets on, right? The translation of their own language? Here's what happens at Pentecost. Everyone's wearing their headsets, right? Like, I don't understand what everybody's saying, so I've got to kind of figure out. And people go... Wait, wait, wait a second. I, I don't need these anymore. And they just take the headsets off and they put them down. No, no more need for these headsets. I, I can understand what everybody's saying, even though every different language is in the same... We can all hear. And Luke stresses, this isn't to divide. When the Spirit shows up, it's not to divide, it's to unify. And sometimes God works subtly and gently. Not here. <laughs> not here. A little chaotic. I think it's chaos when everyone's accusing somebody of being drunk at 9 o'clock in the morning. Okay? Like, a little chaotic. A little chaotic. It says they were amazed and perplexed, and they asked, what does this mean? And they thought they were drunk. That's some chaos. Now, in 2003, and Dave Belecki will certainly love this, but in 2003 in Boston, there were signs that kept popping up around called Reverse the Curse. Right? It was an old you know, overpass sign of one of the bridges and someone went up there and decided to spray and reverse the curse. And some of you who are baseball fans know about this. They also do this in Chicago. But in 1918, the Red Sox won the World Series. 1918, okay, almost 100 years ago. And there's a guy on their team that maybe you've heard of by the name of Babe Ruth. 
Now shortly after that, Ruth was traded, after they won the World Series, was traded shortly after that to the dreaded New York Yankees. And after the trade, the Red Sox went 86 years without winning the title. <laughs> One of the longest droughts in baseball history. And shortly after Babe Ruth went to the Yankees, the Yankees kept winning World Series after World Series after World Series. And it began to be known as the curse, or the curse of the Bambino, which was Babe Ruth's nickname. We got cursed. We should have kept Babe Ruth, the greatest baseball player in the world on our team, but now we're cursed because we traded him away. So, the sign popped up. Let's reverse the curse. This, we got to win a World Series here. And when you know it, this is 2003, in 2004, the Red Sox won the World Series. And they won it again in 2007 and 2013 and hopefully not too many more times. But now it's up to the Cubs who have more than 100 years of history of no, no World Series win. So now they're talking about, let's reverse the curse, we got to win. Now here's, why do I tell you all this? There's something significant that's baked into the text that we need to see here. Okay? In Genesis chapter 11, you may remember the Tower of Babel story. In verse 1 of Genesis 11... Whoops, just lost my place here. In chapter 1, whoops, our first one of chapter 11, it says the world had one language, one common speech, and they sought to build in their arrogance to build a city with the tower that reached up to the heavens so that they could make a name for themselves. What they were basically saying is, we don't need God. We're so technologically advanced, we've got it, we can do it on our own. We don't need God. And God comes down and confuses their language so they don't understand each other. And you know what does He do? He takes one language and He confuses all of them so they all speak different languages. He curses them. It's their curse. You think you don't need me? Well, let's see how that goes. And He curses them and they get so frustrated they give up on it, on this whole building project. They just are so frustrated. Now what's interesting, the Tower of Babel, Babel sounds like the Hebrew word for confused, but we'll also talk about, oh, look, look at that person who's just babbling, Right? There's just confusing talk, whatever they're trying to say. It's where we get this Tower of Babel. Pentecost, a time where thousands of people from every nation, different languages, come together to celebrate in one location. God's Spirit does something amazing of all these scattered languages where no one can understand everybody else. Just like that, Spirit comes. Boom! Everybody can understand their own language. Are you noticing the connection here of Genesis 11 and Acts chapter 2? This is really important. The Spirit seeks to unite, not divide. It didn't have to translate or wear headsets with translators. It was all done by God Himself. The headsets came off. See, God is incredibly strategic to launch His rescue operation now by giving the Spirit. It's no coincidence that it happened right then at that right time at Pentecost. God is undeniably reversing the judgment in a powerful miracle that overcomes the language barrier. You know what it is? It's a reverse mission trip. A reverse mission trip. What do we do? We come together and we scatter out to different cultures and we tell people about Jesus and then we come back home. God says, no, 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 let's do the opposite. I got all these world cultures coming to one city. Let's go down, Spirit, and let's, let's show up. Because then guess what's going to happen? They're going to return and go home. And they go, you will never believe what happened in Jerusalem. Reverse mission trip happens. So what's going on here? God says, 
I'm going to put up a sign. And the sign says, reverse the curse. No more. The Spirit is coming to do a new thing. I'm reversing the curse of Genesis 11. And while people are bringing their first fruits and giving them to God, God uses Pentecost to give the first fruits of the Spirit to the people. Kind of cool. And He's breaking in to the life of His people in a new and fresh and dramatic and surprising way. He's not giving the law, the Ten Commandments, as a way to live and be led. He's giving the Spirit as a new way to live and be led. Now in our next gathering, we're going to look at what Peter does because he, he brings some clarity in the midst of massive confusion. It's really important. We don't have time to get there uh, here this morning. So in just a moment, we're going to press the pause button. However, notice what God is doing. God gives the Spirit as a gift to His people. Jesus has come and then He's ascended into heaven in Acts chapter 1. The disciples are told to wait in Jerusalem until the Spirit comes. So they're just waiting around. What are we waiting for? How are we going to know? How are we going to know for sure that this is exactly what God, when His Spirit's coming? There ain't no denying the Spirit came in Acts chapter 2. They go, oh, this is it. Numa, Ruach, wind. Okay, fire. Okay, okay, whoa, 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 here it is, here it is. This is what we've been waiting for. This is how we be obedient to Jesus. It's here. Let's do this. And God launches His plan of rescue among His people in a strategic way by having every nation come to one city and says, I'm reversing the curse. I'm reversing the curse. No offense, Dave Balecki, it's way better than just baseball. This is world order, world rescue, reversing the curse. And in His patience and love, he, re- he reverses the curse and gives them not the law, but a new way to live and be led by the Spirit. And I'm going to end in just a moment. I wish we had time for a discussion, but we, we, need, to, we need to move on. But I'll say this. I just got done reading those 13 verses this week, and I shut my Bible. And I, the first thing out of my, mind, out of my mouth, I said, Isn't God good like that? Isn't God good like that? To do something like that. How cool. To reverse the curse. And to be able to say, here's how the Spirit's going to break into my people. And I'm going to put it over everyone's head. Not just the really spiritual people or the theologically learned people. No, 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 no. I'm going to give it to everybody. Everybody. What a God. Isn't God good like that? I'm so grateful for that. Well, let's pray. God, um... God, forgive me for my many words, uh, for, for, for speaking quickly, but Lord, I, I just hope that in some way this just encourages us here this morning to be able to say, wow, God, you're such a good God. You're amazing. Look what you did, God. Your spirit came as the first fruits you want to give to us in your kindness. You, you brought it to, to, to normal people and, and those who... Might, we might think are qualified to receive it more than others. You gave it to all of us. And we're so grateful for that. That you reverse the curse. This reverse mission trip of, of seeing the mission of God go to every language and tribe and culture around. And we'll see that through the whole book of Acts. We thank you that here it is. It's starting. This is the snap at the line of scrimmage where the play begins. And we just thank you for unleashing this into the world that we get to be beneficiaries of that indirectly and multiple generations later someone heard the message 
They pass it on to someone else. They pass it on to someone else. It came to us. And we thank you that your spirit is available to us and given to us in new and fresh ways. And we thank you for that. Thanks for this morning. It's with that that we pray. Amen.